Hi, I'm Tom Crawford and welcome to Season 2 of Hysterionics. Well, it's June and we all took a bit of a much-needed break, which gave me time to think about how this season can be even better than last time. I want to see greater diversity in guests and subject matters, whilst taking an even more thought-provoking look at the world of talent and culture and what this means for business performance. The break from hysterionics wasn't a break from work, and I've spent the last six months working in business performance, but with a specific lens on culture and leadership. A big part of this has been diversity, equality, inclusion, helping organizations create inclusive, respectful working communities where people can really be their best selves. As I look to the market and see what people are doing in response to the events of the last year when it comes to diversity, equality and inclusion, I see a lot that excites me, but I also see a lot that disappoints me. I see a lot of tokenistic, non-authentic activity which doesn't get to the root cause of the problem. So what better way to start season two than by having a robust, honest, progressive, challenging conversation around diversity, equality and inclusion with somebody who works in this field at a global level for one of the most amazing brands in the world and who always has a fascinating perspective on this subject. I am super excited to be joined by somebody I massively respect and have really wanted to get the opinion of on all things diversity, equality or equity and inclusion. So I am joined today by Marina Corti. And Marina, I could describe what you do and who you are, but why don't you do that? Yes, thank you, Tom. It's very nice to be with you on this call. I think I'm even more excited than you to have it. So uh, it's a real pleasure to be here with you and have this discussion. Oh. Who am I? I am, I guess I'm Marina. I'm, I'm the mom of three wonderful girls uh, who are challenging me every day. But um, I guess I'm not a typical DEI professional and not a typical HR professional either, although I have been uh, my entire career in HR. I think I'm, I'm the kind of, kind of alien uh, because I, I just simply believe that as an organization, but also, you know, as a, as a head of a DEI function, you, you have to put people in the center of everything you do. And that the context around which the people are navigating, working, living is extremely important to who they are as well. So I think this is my role. Uh, and that's how I see DI as well, is really starting from the individual, understanding what the context is, and then, you know, look at what we can do to offer an inclusive environment for the people. And I think one of the reasons I always enjoy talking to you, and you've just reminded me, is that I feel like an alien in the HR world as well. Because, um, you know, I, I've sat in many HR leadership team meetings and, you know, sort of died in the wool HR people have looked down the nose at this person that has a communication marketing background sitting in talent because I haven't ever done a pay review and you can't call yourself an HR person unless you've done a full pay review. Um, I'd love you to tell us about the organization that you work for because um, it's a bit sexy. Yes, so um, I'm working for Richemont. Richemont is one of the leading groups in the luxury industry. Our portfolio is focusing on what people tend to say is hard luxury. So we're very, our portfolio is very strong on high jewelry and watches and uh, lifestyle brands. So we do have a bit of fashion. We do have leather. 
but fundamentally the core of the portfolio is watchmaking. So it is what people like to associate with, with timeless luxury. It is really, you know, the, the things that uh, you pass on from one generation to the other. If I can quote a very famous line that is not ours, uh, but a famous maison, a famous brand out there. So it is really about emotions, about craftsmanship. It's about transmitting heritage culture as well. Uh, so it's a fascinating group. Yeah, are we allowed to mention some of the brands just to give people a faint Sure, flavor? sure. Uh, so Cartier, Von Cleef and Arpels, uh, Montblanc as part of our portfolio, uh, Officine Panerai, Alang and Zöne, IWC, uh, Chloe. Uh, I won't do the whole list, but we're having well, that's impressive 25. already. <laughs> that's impressive already, and I do like a bit of leather. So. Um, do you know, I think back over the last year, we've had a bit of a diversity and inclusion earthquake with, you know, everything related to COVID, um, certainly Black Lives Matter, uh, which has gone global. We've had Asian hate in, the, uh, in response to COVID. And, you know, we've got the rumblings of hashtag me too going on all the time, plus a, a workforce that is really thinking about who am I and what do I want out of life? What's, what's it been like for someone in your role over the last year? It's been a roller coaster, <laughs> to, to say the least. Uh, to be very honest, I've started working on diversity, equity and inclusion even before all of these movements uh, yeah. came about. Um, and I think, you know, every crisis brings opportunity, although the things Absolutely. that have happened are really horrible. I, I like uh, to see myself as an optimist and really see, okay, maybe now we have the awareness. Maybe now the, the topic is finally on the agenda of top management generally in organizations. So it really helped uplift the awareness uh, around the importance of the topic, but not only the importance, also more discussions about the actual value that DEI can bring into an organization. Um, and also, you know, now more and more with the whole ESG movement that we see, you know, the link to sustainability, also a real question about the responsibility of an organization and the impact that an organization has towards their own employees, but also outside of the organization. So I think fundamentally, I would say something positive out of something negative, yeah. but I think we have to be also very you know, clear about there was a downside to it as well. Huh? Many companies yeah. have suddenly had to react very quickly, suddenly started communicating about you know, commitments or engagements they took, not only around the, the Black Lives Matter movement, but as you mentioned about the other ones. And maybe sometimes these actions and statements were not thought through. Yeah. So, you know, we, we're talking a lot about performative DEI. It is really about, you know, we're putting it out there. We're making a social post versus being authentically committed to make a change. And we all know that change takes time. It really it's a does. journey. And, and for me, DEI is a journey that has no destination. It means that you have to start there might be some quick wins that you can do, but actually the real value comes from, you know, really authentically starting to commit work and work on that change. And change is not easy. It's uncomfortable. And that takes time. It really does. And I think what you remind me of, Marina, is that 
you know over the last year we've and i don't think i don't think the solution has presented itself yet but over the last year we've seen well-being come together with de and i and the blurring of that we've seen uh culture be looked at, uh, agile working be looked at, blurred in with DE uh, and I. And I've seen in the last year, a lot of organizations be caught out (laughs) because uh, they didn't have an authentic uh, approach to diversity, Mm -hmm. equality and inclusion. It was, uh, excuse my metaphor, it was a bit like the corporate B-Day. Every posh place needed it, but nobody was quite sure what to do with it. And not being sure what to do with it was really exposed at a time of Black Lives Matter because the response, um, they didn't have the right expertise. They didn't uh, consult with the right people in order to to shape their response. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, sadly, and I don't know what you think, I think sadly some organizations have responded really well and authentically. And some organizations have doubled down on the tokenism. Yes, I, I think you're right. Uh, and I think the dimension, the, the, the mediatization, the social media dimension yeah. to all of this, you know, is, is extremely strong. And uh, maybe before, you know, this, you could do these external statements, you could take this commitment. But nowadays, you have really means of people holding you accountable and then really okay. saying, okay, you know, can you, can you now really show us what this means? It's nice to post, you know, uh, on your social media account, but, you know, look at your management teams, look at your, you know, setup of, of your organization, look at your actual acts, your marketing campaigns. I mean, there's so many elements that flow into it. It's a complex topic. Um, you are being held accountable uh, today by stakeholders that maybe you didn't think about before. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. I think what it showed was that organizations hadn't integrated diversity, equality, and inclusion. So, you know, they were focused on celebrations for Ramadan and they were so focused on gay pride, but they hadn't necessarily had a conversation with yes. uh, the LBGTQ plus population. And they hadn't spoken to marketing about, okay, what does it mean for advertising? And they hadn't spoken to corporate social responsibility to say, what does it mean for for our, our community outreach and what does it mean for the way that our community outreach influences our customer strategy so I, I think we're starting to see it come together in in some organizations I'm going to say something controversial one of the things that I've noticed is in a knee-jerk reaction in a I would say tokenistic way some corporates have rejected uh, white LGBTQ men, they've rejected white highly qualified women for heads of DNI roles because they say we want something very visible, we want to bring in a person of color. And my concern about that is for the person coming into that role because those organizations culturally aren't ready for it. And those people naturally have a sense of campaigning and wanting to change the world. And my big fear is that in doing something visible in a response to Black Lives Matter, there will be organ rejection of the person coming in. And actually, those organizations need to evolve their culture and their views and understanding of DE and I until they can bring someone like that into the organization who can have even more impact. What would you think about that? 
No, I think I think there is an element to that. Obviously, you know, when when organizations are faced with the situation, their first reaction is to say, okay, let's bring in somebody who visually represents diversity and through their personal experience has the right expertise also to work on it. Now, the danger is that the optics alone doesn't do it in the sense of one, because you become, as you rightly said, kind of the poster child of the organization. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you have to bear the whole burden of the topic because yeah. you're the only one. But secondly, also because it's not enough to just have the visual representation. While the visual representation, don't get me wrong, is extremely important. But what you also all that need it brings with it. is the actual... Exactly. But it's actually also the actual skill sets, you know, rolling out DI in an organization uh, requires skill sets and competencies that many other business functions also do, right? You have to make sure you identify your strategy, you have to have a roadmap, you have to follow the change management process, and, and you really need these skill sets that other functions also have but you have to apply them to DEI. And I think that cultural element that you just mentioned is so, so important. So representation, extremely important because people from outside, you know, they look at you and, and visual is important. So if they want to be attracted to your company, if they want to see that you're authentic about it, they also need the visual representation. So Definitely, but I think the, the biggest danger is only go for the optics and don't go for the actual skill sets. And DEI needs a certain skill set. It, it, it is an expertise um, that, you know, sometimes people who are already in an organization actually can bring enormous value because they know that cultural part that you just mentioned in the beginning. I, I, I think that's absolutely correct. And, and I think lots of organizations, I'm not saying do not hire a person of color. What I'm saying is, to, in agreement with you, is that if you are that organization, are you going to give them the bandwidth? Are you going to allow them to make themselves unpopular? Are you going to have a positive reaction when they rightly challenge you as an organization and work to shift your culture and educate you and uh, move your thinking on? Because if you're not ready to sign up to that, you're, as an organization, you're setting that person up for failure. And, and yes. I think that we find ourselves in a tra transition period where uh, the response to Black Lives Matter requires a lot of culture change inside organizations. And if you've got the person inside with the right mindset, a progressive mindset, who for 18 months, two years can sh shift the culture whilst understanding how to work with the existing culture, I think that's a question of less haste, more speed. So absolutely, no, I couldn't agree more with you. You know, this this is a quite interesting parallel that that we often talk about in in DI. You know, when digital came uh, a few year, years ago, let's say five to six years, you know, the first reactions of organizations were was you know name a head of digital, and that person will fix it. Yep. And then suddenly they realize one person is no longer enough. We need, you know, a team. Okay, then the team started to grow. There was a bit of resource given, you know, a bit more budget. And today what we realize is digital is everywhere. You and me, everybody in an yep. organization has a role to play to integrate digital in everything they do. And actually DEI is the same, right? Yep. We're at a stage where, you know, we're maybe just past the fact or in, in some some organizations were just there we're naming this one person and basically say okay fix it 
right? Then we will start understanding, oops, it, 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 it doesn't go with one person. We actually need a team or a community around it. Great. Yep. And then I hope that in a not very far future, we start to understand that it's not, it's not so much the diversity element, actually. It's much more the inclusion part. It's what are we offering as a work environment and what can every single individual on a daily basis contribute when, when they are exchanging with their colleagues? So hopefully there, there is hope. I, I at least believe in it. And, and diversity for me to build on that, Marina, is diversity is about targets and numbers and looking at the makeup of your organization inclusion for me is actually saying okay what are we doing around the environment the culture everyday life to make sure that that diversity that we've got feels welcome has a home has a sense of belonging feels that they can be uh their very best self and as as we move into equity or equality and i know you 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 differentiate the words equality and equity mm -hmm. but equi equity and equality is is a uh, it, it starts with self me as a leader what is uh, what is my impact on the, on the working environment? Am I self-aware? Am I in touch with my own unconscious bias? Do I know where I have inherent inbuilt prejudices that I weren't necessarily aware of? And then how does that play out at a systemic organizational level? How does that relate to, you know, who do we have involved in the recruitment process? Who do we have involved in the development process? What are our sense checks and 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 um controls to make sure that those processes which are an amalgamation of different unconscious biases don't become systemic bias so mm -hmm. i, I, I w how, how do you feel about that no i agree i think you, you mentioned something extremely important it starts with self-awareness and often self-awareness of our privilege okay yep. because i think that fundamentally Diversity is not a choice. It's not something you, you know, you mentioned figures. I actually, I'm not sure if, if figures can do justice to diversity because we're all diverse fundamentally, yeah. right? You are different from me. We're all diverse. And, and again, it's not, it's not only the color of your skin, but you know, it's, it's who we are, how we have been brought up. So diversity in itself is not a choice, but what we need to be self-aware is about the, situation of privilege that we're in and we all have some form of privilege by the way but but especially as leader it is extremely important to go through that step to really realize if we want to have an equitable work environment an inclusive work environment we have to first understand and accept that people are not all starting from the same kind of um line okay yeah. we, we have all different kind of upbringings we have all lived through different things and we have all earned also through through work and through merit certain situations but in order to be equitable uh, i think we need to be self-aware but also aware of the privilege that we have and what we need to give other people also to support them to achieve what people often say is equal opportunity I mean, you said something, you know, you, you were talking about contro controversy. I'm also going to say something controversial. I actually not even sure that we should go for equality. So don't get me wrong. Huh? We, 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 we should all be treated with, with great respect and inclusive. But in equality is a, a idealistic uh, concept. Because okay, cool. if 
Yes, a very good one. Absolutely. That we should tend towards it. But will we ever achieve it? I don't know. Um, Is it achievable? Well, I, I prefer to say that if we acknowledge that we're all diverse, that we're all unique in who we are, and that we all need different things uh, as we go along in the path of our lives, um, we should be able to have access to the things that we need. That yeah. for me is the equity bit. But do I need the same thing as you? I'm not sure. And if there was equality and everybody gets the same, then maybe you know we don't serve anybody fundamentally. It's interesting what you say, because I, I'm working with a client at the minute uh, who I, I, I love and respect. And I said to a lot of their leaders, you know, what is, what is diversity, equality and inclusion? And they said, well, you know, Tom, it's, it's just getting the best person for the job. And I, I unpicked that with them and said, OK, well, what defines best? Let, you know, exactly. Secondly, are you qualified through bearing in mind we are all prejudiced and we all have unconscious bias and we all are programmed uh, towards affinity are you qualified to make sure that you you can judge what is best and actually best as it presents itself you know is best simply because it comes from a more advantaged socioeconomic background um is there actually better than best if you're willing to look at somebody's potential rather than what their exam grades are right now because there may be somebody better than best who had to work for jobs in college uh, just to pay their way through college and maybe their exam grades as a result weren't what your current best is so equality and equity is is a really interesting debate and I, I want to pick up on what you said about privilege because I think uh, I learned a lot personally. I've still got a lot to learn as a, as a consequence of Black Lives Matter. And I, I think above everything else, it made me aware of my privilege. And it made me aware that simple little things in my life that I take for granted, like not being stopped by the police on my way to work as, yes. a, as, as a business executive, is privilege. And And so I think... Previously, for me, diversity and inclusion was seeing and understanding others. I think now, thanks to Black Lives Matter, equality or equity for me is about better understanding of self and the privilege that I have. In in some ways, how I own my whiteness. And I I don't know what you, you think, Marina. No, I, I fully agree with you. And I, and I think that's why the self-awareness is so important. The, the problem around, or the issue, I would say, around these discussions of privilege is that it is to a certain extent very uncomfortable, right? So you don't consciously choose to be a racist, but you're, you're somehow born into a system that is racist. And you're part of the system, right? And I think that the very important step that that each one of us uh, maybe in our whiteness can do is realizing that we're in that system so that we're somehow also contributing to it but that the notion of guilt you know saying oh my god I'm a racist this is this is a horrible thing actually doesn't lead you anywhere so that you have to put this guilt aside and really open up and first of all listen listen much more to other people to their experiences, not judging, but then be really open and look, what can I do? Ask questions. How can I help? 
Yeah. Or what should I stop doing? You know, it's, it's, but it's a difficult conversation to have because it goes, as you rightly said, through this step, you just have to acknowledge that because you're part of the system, you were born into the system. Well, then you probably to a certain extent are acting in a racist manner, sometimes unconsciously. Yep. Without realizing Without realizing, but again, the, the, the microaggressions, etc., cetera, uh, unconscious biases we cannot control who are a great survival mechanism for human beings, but are actually affecting other people who, who come from a very different background. So again, maybe, you know, the, the one thing I learned for me is really, okay, realizing it is important, but then putting aside the guilt. Yep. You know, it doesn't serve you. It's your it's worst paralyzing. enemy when it comes to exactly to DI. But just open up, just accept it. And it's liberating because you it can is. accept it. And then you can really start having that conversation, asking the questions and be open to learn and change. Yeah. I think that, that liber- I love the word libera- liberating because you do walk down the street differently. And, you know, you think knowing that you have predispositions to make certain thoughts or judgments or not see things, you know, you walk down the street differently and you, you look at the world around you differently and it's suddenly a much for me it's a much more interesting uh but challenging world and you know i i i still feel i've got a lot to learn i want one of the one of the things that i think as a as a consultant has stood out for me in in the last year is is that hypocrisy inside organizations which is you know we do have a a response to the 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 faith uh events in in the calendar throughout the year we do have a response to pride um but we we don't have the leadership capability or the focus on our culture which makes them meaningful and and so i've got to a point in my head where i wonder that you know if we if organizations had a really open culture uh, where people were genuinely curious and could ask questions and were self-aware through great leadership. Would we even need a head of diversity, equality and inclusion? Is, is, <laughs> is the solution not a focus on culture and leadership? Trying to get me a new job, or <laughs> <laughs> no? It's it's a fantastic question. Actually, you know, it's also something that a few years past was around also HR. Right? Do we really need yeah. HR professionals? If every yeah. manager would take into their responsibility, take accountability for their people management part of their job, then probably we would don't need HR professionals either. So I almost want to say. <laughs> I hope we, we don't need DEI anymore. I think that there is a stigmatization today um, in organizations of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because when, when you start talking about it, then, you know, first reaction is, oh, my God, yeah. you know, people are going on to the defensive side, which is a human reaction to it. Because, again, you know, we were talking about privilege just before. It is about, oh, are you taking away something from me? that I've earned rightfully, by the way, yeah? these people usually have yeah. worked very hard to get there. So absolutely uh, understandable. But the first reaction is always defensive. And we all know we, 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 we have to engage with people. So for me, just as we said, also for an individual, it's the same for an organization. You have to build out your listening mechanisms, as you mentioned, where people feel free with the trust that you build 
we build trust uh, between people when we can start relate, when we can bond, and we bond when we have something in common, right? So this is how we as individuals bond together. But in organizations, it's very similar. If you give people a common purpose, and you yeah. tell them, look, we're, we're trying to achieve this. And, and by the way, purpose is not selling a product or no, delivering no, 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 a no. service. It, it is has really to be more, more spiritual than that. It has exactly. to be more, uh, yeah, has to be on a so, higher plane. Exactly. So, so when you give people something they can work towards, a purpose, then you get them bonding. Then you get that sense of belonging, right, uh, that they can work together. And then DEI, in the end maybe is no longer needed, as you said, because people will do it naturally. I mean, that's, I think, the hope of every DEI practitioner is to say that eventually people will understand that the most important stakeholder is the individual. It's how we react every day towards the other people as well. And and it would be great that we don't need them anymore. But I think what will happen is more that DEI will, will develop, evolve into maybe more a cultural transformation. Um, So really looking more at these elements, how the workplace can, can, you know, become more inclusive and then linking also into this whole topic of ESG. So environment, social and governance, you know, this, this social element, so, so important inside and outside the organization. I see a super role. Um, which is a combination of DE&I culture and, and leadership. Mm. Uh, and I, I see those things being combined uh, into one role. And I think that's where the impact can happen. And yeah. glad you mentioned ESG because everyone is talking about it. It's, 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 it's causing a lot of angst, actually, because many organizations... Uh, feel that they they're exposed on that front or they don't have a coordinated integrated strategy Mm. what's your view on the whole ESG movement particularly as it relates to DE and I I think it will it will serve the AI or will play in in favor of the AI is it the right mechanism I think it's the only one that will work meaning there is a regulatory element to it there is a financial element to it let's be honest the ESG indices that are ranking quoted organizations on what they do and have to deliver proof of their commitments and their engagement so this authentic element that is kind of you know forced upon the organizations and I think we all know money talks so when ESG indices and you know big investors and institutional investors will stop investing in organizations that don't deliver on ESG's uh, goals or the UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals, then things will start to change. I think we're, maybe we're all just like that, right? We have to have this sense of urgency (laughs) to really engage with the change because it is complex, because it is difficult, because it is extremely uncomfortable. But I think overall, it, it, it really plays in favor of DEI. I think, I think organizations will have to uh, authentically, seriously commit to systemic change in their organizations. And that's, that's what we're needing. Um, but it will take time. I think so. And it will, it will 
that's why the culture piece needs to be married to the DE and I piece because yes. you cannot implement a DE and I strategy without looking at culture and leadership if you want to fulfill your ESG obligations. And to go back to my question of a few minutes ago around will we ever get to the point where we don't need a head of DE and I, I think there's a baby step before that where uh, an organization doesn't see a head of DE&I as a distress purchase, as a, oh my God, we've, we better have one because we're in, deep in the shit. I want uh, organizations to go, this should be, could be, can be, will be the most vibrant, exciting, business-enabling role inside the organization. Let's get the right person set loose on our organization. I want organizations to change the mindset around having a head of DE and I. I think that's Yes, you, you have to, you know, again, as I said before, there is a stigmatization to it, but actually it's such a positive role to be yeah. in. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy it because, because fundamentally your role is to bring you know, positive culture into the organization, you know, yeah. facilitating collaborations. I mean, that's a wonderful position to be in, you know, and, and yes, there are difficulties and yes, you know, you, you, you have also situations that are extremely uncomfortable uh, for an individual, but also for the organization, but overall we have to engage with the entire workforce and, and bring them on that journey in a positive way. And I think there are means to do that. So it is, you know, still very fascinating journey. It's an amazing journey. Uh, in the, with the right mindset in the right organization, it's an amazing job. And it makes such a difference to people's lives, you know, uh, not just as employees, but as, as human beings who turn up to work. So mm. Marina, thank you so much for this conversation. I've really appreciated it. It's always a, a treat to talk to you. And here's to being two aliens in the world of HR. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. It was fantastic. Thank you very much. So, Neil, that was episode one of season two. What did you think? Um, what a great conversation to open up season two. Um, I'm using season two, Tom, because it's very Hollywood, it's very Netflix, and I think it adds much more grandeur and status to what we're doing here. So um, season two, no, it was great. I mean, look, I, I think Marina's uh, context and views are so fascinating and interesting. Lots of threads in there. And I heard description of uh, Richemont and um, the luxury side of things does make me want to go and spend some money, and which isn't a good thing. But yeah, really good conversation, Tom. How about you? What do you think? I, I thought Marina, as always, had uh, one of the most interesting, progressive, open, honest perspectives on diversity, equality, inclusion. And I really appreciated the opportunity to discuss with her, you know, things that I've seen uh, in the last year. And there's very few people I feel I can talk to about it. You know, predominantly the knee-jerk reaction from so many corporates on things like Black Lives Matter and other societal movements. And, you know, them going out there and saying, look, we're going to hire somebody very visible who uh, says, you know, we're serious about this agenda. But I still worry they're setting those people up for failure. You know, are they, what are they committing to those people that they hire? Are they committing that they are willing to be challenged on all aspects of their culture and leadership? Because that's what it takes. And 
I still think progress in diversity, equality, and inclusion is, is about culture change and uh, open dialogue. What else did you think? Well, I I think your your comment around the knee jerk reaction is interesting because you know that this role has taken on much more of a broader uh, remit, if you like. You know, the the macro issues, the ones that you know people are looking to their leadership for comment on. Uh, often falls within the DE&I space, right? And I know there's a blurring of lines around the kind of well-being side of things and, um, mm-hmm. you know, having a, an opinion and sharing that with CEO or the C-suite or, or the leadership and asking for their views on it and informing them is, a, is an important part of the role. So I think that's kind of interesting as well, right? I think so. I think this whole ESG is, is putting the cat amongst the pigeons I think lots of organizations are having those different threaded conversations that you talk about and are not joining them together. And as consumers of employers, we've had a reset, a personal reset with COVID. You know, we have mostly looked at our uh, psychological contract with our employers and thought, I need something different. My life needs to be recognized. My diversity needs to be recognized. Um, My well-being needs to be recognized. How do we bring all of that together? And so I, I think it's interesting times. I think ESG is probably a whole episode that we can cover later oh, yeah. in, the, in the season, right? Um, but, you know, what about the individual who's doing the role, Tom? Um, you know, Marina commented on this can't be a kind of tokenistic type role. It has to be the right person. And, and in my view, you know, absolutely around the traits, the motivators, the drives and the, and the competencies that, that individual should have is all important. But what's your thoughts on that? Who should be doing this role? I think it's I think it's what we allow the role to do as much as who's in the role. I think it's that role needs to be allowed to challenge. It needs to be allowed to stir things up. It needs to be allowed to make itself unpopular. It needs to be allowed to, as head of diversity, equality and inclusion, to really be the court jester to the organization and, and tell them what's wrong and what's not working. And so... Uh, that role needs to be accepted as being countercultural, uh, maybe at the outset. And if we haven't got those project management uh, commercial skills that are required in the right people with the, with the right motivation and the right drivers and the right experience, we need to develop those people. We need to help them uh, build the skills that drive through the change agenda that they're, they're so passionate about. So, in some ways, it's difficult to say. But those, it's got to be the right person, obviously, stating the obvious, but because, you know, your, your, your comments around authentic commitment um, and it not just being a social post, I think, is really important because change does take time and having the right person in that role to allow that authentic commitment is important. So tell me a little bit more about that. I just think that people are being hired into head of diversity, equality and inclusion roles to put in signs and symbols of diversity, equality, and inclusion, uh, the sort of bricks, that it's, this is culture change. This is behavioral change. This is mindset change. In some organizations, this is a change of purpose and who we are and why we exist. And uh, so it's great having the bricks, but you need the mortar as well. And so I, I think, yes, hire the right person, um, with the skills, the motivation, the experience, the drive, the passion, the perspective, the self-awareness. Uh, but make sure that you as an organization are changing at the same time and, and go on a journey with that person. Yeah. I, 
I, I think one of the big things I learned in the last year and Maria Marina reminded me is privilege. I am a very privileged person. Even with my mental health issues, I am privileged in the way that I am able to deal with them. I, um, I, I'm still able to work. I have the support structure around me to deal with my mental health issues. Uh, I'm largely respected uh, because of in some cases, but certainly in spite of my mental health issues. And I know that um, there are many who aren't, but I'm also very privileged as a, as a white man. And I think, you know, to your point about authenticity, uh, leaders will make a huge impact in this arena if they think about their individual and collective privilege as part of their self-awareness journey. So really cool conversation. Yeah, really good. I think we should leave it there. I think uh, you and I will be back uh, in about a month's time for episode two of season two, previously on Tom and Neil. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to look at what our current uh, life situation with COVID, etc., cetera, uh, means for talent acquisition and the uh, acquisition of talent into an organisation. What is the role of artificial intelligence? Uh, what is the impact of us wanting to change our psychological contract with work? And the fact that we're also super used to teleworking, does that mean that it's no longer necessary to try and find talent within a 20-mile radius of head office? Can we truly uh, operate a global talent pool? So I think that's what we'll be talking about next. That gives me a license to get the curious license back out and continue looking for for new thoughts and ideas for, for the next uh, podcast, Tom. But I- Sounds like a great agenda. I'm looking forward to covering ESG as well. I think it's uh, it's it's maturing, but it's a great opportunity for us to discuss. Yeah, let's add that to the list. Anyway, Neil, lovely to speak to you as always, and I will see you very soon. Thanks, Tom. 